Hello, hockey fans, and welcome once again to another episode of the Vegas Hockey Podcast. We've got a double blast episode for you with Zach Devine coming in to talk a little bit of San Jose Sharks and the start that they're off to. We've got Mark Scheid coming in to break down the Columbus Blue Jackets start. Uh, special shout out to everyone listening on GrandstandSportsNet.com and also Russ Cohen Sportsology webpage and, and over at TheHockeyWriters.com where you can find our podcast there as well. Uh, make sure you go to iTunes and click on the subscribe button. I believe we have all our audio issues worked out, so now it should be a nice clean listen for everybody. So we're gonna jump right into it, and here we go. All right, I'm Mark Warner along with Chris Lisa for another episode of the Vegas Hockey Podcast. Thank you all for coming coming along for the ride on your Saturday morning. Uh, we're going to have a really good show with lots to get to today. Golden Knights are, are, I don't even have adjectives to describe what's going on here in <laughs> Vegas. Um, it's pretty ridiculous. Uh, although, if you look at their, what they're doing, they're still in second place in the division with uh, the other team that's near and dear to my heart the Los Angeles Kings uh, rejuvenated, if you will, Chris. Yes, it's good. It's good to be back. Uh, so yes, the Kings. Well, I want to get the report from you because you know, obviously, uh, you follow the Kings very, very closely, and I'll give uh, my two cents from afar. But yeah, off to an eight-one and one start. I mean, pretty amazing. So what's? Let me ask you, sir. What? What as uh why are they off to such a great start? Well, I don't I don't think you have to look any farther than the, the uptick in, in well, first of all, Jonathan Quick is healthy and a healthy Jonathan Quick is, is better than ninety five percent of the goalies in the league in my opinion. And he looks to be back to his his, his cup winning form, um at, playing really well. But but uh, when you look at at their top line, they bring in a rookie, a follow who's who's really he's fit that role very well on Kopitar's left side. Kopitar is up to last I checked was seven goals I believe, and and I saw a report where it took him till after Thanksgiving last season to get to seven goals, and to see him I producing was, like I, every. I think he only scored 12 the whole year last year. I think he only scored yeah, 12 goals the whole year last year. That is correct, sir. Um, in fact, only the only three Kings players last season scored over 10 goals with uh, Carter leading the way and Tanner Pearson with 20-something and uh, Kopitar at 12. And that's not the kind of player Kopitar is. Um, so his taking production, Dustin Brown – coming back to being, you know, he's a two-time 30-goal scorer earlier in his career. So it it was definitely, definitely disconcerting to see his stats spiral down into 20, 30-point range for a full season in the last, last three or four years. So I think uh, John Stevens letting them do do a little bit more creativity on offense, uh, freeing, freeing them up. Dowdy's, Dowdy's being more aggressive than, than – we're used to seeing under under Coach Sutter. Little, you know, hashtag free Drew Dowdy. I threw that out a couple times. And 
quarterbacking things, a little bit looser on the power play. Um, and Adrian Kempe also uh, six goals, I believe, at this point to start the season. He was uh, up and down different roles last season, but uh, but a first round pick from from the Kings a couple years back, and he looks to have found a nice little slot there on their third line where where he can play his natural position. So the combination of, of the increased offense, I, I I didn't really look at their defensive stats, but but they're winning games five to one, four to one, three to two. So it's four nothing. It, four nothing. Um is I don't it does it looks like Stevens found a balance to the defensive core that that created two Stanley Cup championships in Los Angeles and still allowing them to free up and and they, you know with the with the kids that they have brought up there is an increased speed to their game which obviously has been lacking the last couple of years as well so i think a combination of all of that and you know sometimes it's just and and trust me coach Sutter's a hall of fame coach he's he brought two stanley cups to los angeles there's no knock on what he was able but sometimes it's it's just time to get a fresh take um, John Stevens has been there for years and years and years and has been a head coach in the league with Philly, groomed Carter and Richards back in the day. And, you know, sometimes it's just time to get a new voice in the room and a, a new a new captain at the helm, so to speak. And I think that, uh, you know, breath of fresh air in the locker room combined with a little bit more fun on the ice is letting the, you know, the core group that won those cups is still there and still potent. So I, I don't think that the King start is an aberration. I think, I think sustain this. I think they're going to be one. It, it, it was a question going into the season of exactly what the John Stevens look w- would bring to Los Angeles. And, you know, so far it's worked at home. It's worked on the road. And I, I don't see barring injury, a reason for any of, of those things to, to change. I, uh, I, I'm impressed with their start, and I think that good things are to come for Kings Nation. Well, from afar, you know, when we did the Pacific preview show, uh, I was, you know, I I could see a formula of how the Kings, you know, could finish uh, in that third spot if a lot of things came to co- came together. You know, Kopitar bounce back, uh, youngsters like Kempe really take a nice step up. Uh, get more out of veterans uh, such as uh, Gabrick and maybe Brown. Uh, Gabrick, has still, I don't believe, has played yet. Jeff Carter's been hurt, too. Obviously, having Jonathan Quick back helps. But keep in mind, and you know this, Mark, you know, last year, he, he, even though he missed four months of the season, they got great goaltending from Peter Budai. So, uh, Absolutely. Quick came, until Quick came back. So that, uh, ironically, was not their issue. Um so I felt like if things, a lot of things came together, which were reasonable, they could be, you know, finished behind the Ducks and the Oilers and be a team you would not want to face in the playoffs and be, you know, a dangerous team and maybe win around. But obviously they're doing a heck of a lot more than that. Like I said, they, they lost Jeff Carter after three or four games, and that, that that hasn't slowed them down. He was their offense last year, as you know. For sure. Um, For sure. Is, is still hurt. And, you know, Dustin Brown, it's worthy to note. Great uh, story. You know, as you know, Mark, the, yeah, 
the Kings last year in the draft, in a very strong draft, had the 11th overall pick. There were reports or stories out there, well, you know, maybe the Kings would trade that pick and Dustin Brown to get out from under his contract to the Golden Knights for really just taking the contract and take this really nice pick. And and people are like, well, you can't do that if you're Vegas. And then look at the year. You know, he had a, he had a decent year last year. He just has got a you know bad salary cap number for his production, but he's really bounced back uh, with this coaching staff. So uh, I am I am definitely surprised. Uh, I am a little bit shocked. Not that they're playing that they have a good record. They have a great record, and this leads into our our second point on on the on the opening face off here, and that is, and we'll get into the Golden Knights down the Vegas lane, but. With the starts of the Kings and the Knights, uh, you know, if you're Edmonton and you're off to a slow start, or you're Calgary and you're five and six, or if you're San Jose and I think they're four and five, you've got to be, and even Anaheim, I think, is around 500. You know, going to this year, I felt like I was a little worried about Edmonton, but I felt like they were going to be fine because of the division they were in. If they were in another division, I'd be a lot more concerned, but uh, I, I, with all the expectations and so forth. But now all of a sudden, you know, the Kings, I, I, I mean, I know it's early, but I think with the personnel that they have, uh, they you got to like their chances of being in the top three. I don't know what to make of the Knights. We'll get into that. But all of a sudden, you can get, you know, the, it, it's a game of musical chairs in the Pacific, and uh you know, there's a couple of teams out there that people probably had written down in ink in the Pacific to make the playoffs that when the music stops could be without a chair. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you when you look at Edmonton, they and I've seen them play a couple of games now, it looks like they've regressed to their almost pre-Connor McDavid days on defense and as far as structure and responsibility. And that's not a trend that bodes well. I mean, Connor McDavid and, and the rest notwithstanding. I, I, I saw a highlight and I saw it broke down on NHL Network where uh, they were playing and they, the guy took the puck behind the net and the, the opposing team's player, and I forget who it was, he was – there was one player who went behind the net and there was three players around the opposing team's forward who was coming down the slot. The play looked to be well covered. Well, at, at the last minute, they brought their sticks up off the ice and straight leg skated into, into the slot. The other player wanted it more. He kept skating. The great pass right down the middle and he got his stick there before the other three players did and he roofed it. Now, if you've got four men and three three players in the triangle around one player, and that one player beats you, it's an effort thing. It, it, and I can't say it any other way. It, I don't know what they're they're expecting to to happen in that situation, but, but you have to skate and you have to defend, no matter how good your offense and and your offensive players are. And it's disappointing to see that kind of effort so early in the season out of the defensive core um, in Edmonton. I was San Jose. About, I was worried. I was worried about Edmonton's secondary scoring going in, and and that seems to be a bit of a problem so far as well. Yeah, they're minus eight in goal differential as we speak. So that's 
I mean, you, you Connor can get 50 and, and 70, and, you know, what do we do? Are we, are we still outscored two, three goals in every game because we're not hustling and we're not playing defense? I, I, that's got to change. That's, that's, they're regressing to where they were, and that has to change today. San Jose, I think, will be okay. I think, um, you know, maybe, maybe just slow start to the season. They're, you know, nine points yeah, so they out. Got a good record nine, when they, nine. they got a good record when they don't play the Islanders. <laughs> we'll, we'll see about that. Um, maybe the Islanders no, the, don't have the a good Islanders, record when the they Islanders, play anybody but San Jose. Right, right. The <laughs> Islanders beat them twice already. They're two and zero against the Sharks. Right, right, right. Um, you know, I still have Jones in net there. Um, oh, he's great. I th- yeah, I think their forward core and their defense core. It could just be a, a, a case of cobwebs getting the rust out, getting into the season. They are an older squad, so maybe it's harder to harder to motivate up early in the season. I think San and their goal differential is a zero, so they're not they're not right being blown out of anything. Um, I, I look for them to be okay. Anaheim, they're suffering. We talked about this earlier in the year. They're uh, suffering through a lot of injuries, trying to get their roster intact. And Getzloff may have slowed down a bit. Perry may have slowed down a bit. But I think once their roster is, is, is set, as long as they're not too far back of the Golden Knights by Christmas time, um, you know, I still look at Anaheim and San Jose to be up in that top group. I think Vancouver's overplaying itself right now. Yeah. Uh, third place in the division right now. I look for them to fall back a little bit. Um well, I'd like Calgary to make a point on, on the sure. – yeah, I want to make a point about Calgary. And, again, it's early, so, you know, they've been kind of, you know, up and down. They're 5-6-0. and oh. The thing is, though, the Flames are all in on this season. I mean, they they need to make the playoffs and have a bit of a run because, uh, you know, everyone applauded them, and rightfully so. He's uh, I'm a big fan of his landing Travis Hamanick from the Islanders last June. But they gave up – you know, three high draft picks, including their first and second round picks in this year's draft. And when we have Zach Devine, we'll, talk, we'll get a little sneak peek on this year's draft, which is sizing up to be a, a pretty special one. You know, if they don't make the playoffs, and uh, in those two picks, uh, you know, heading east, uh, that is just, uh, that's a rough go of it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And one, one thing, too, I'll say back about on the Kings, um, I'm look. I'm looking through it now. There's only three teams in the entire NHL that have a double-digit goal differential in the positive side. Tampa Bay, plus 17. LA Kings, plus 17. Vegas Golden Knights, plus 16. Uh, the next, the next up is plus nine. So. As far as the increased offense goes and what John Stevens has brought to that club, I don't think I need to go any deeper than that stat to see an LA Kings team this early in the season with a plus 17 goal differential when we're used to looking at them being a two to one, three to two type hockey club. Um, I think it says it all. And now Tampa Bay's on fire, of course. So I mean, compare compare that goal differential with one of the hottest offensive teams in the whole National Hockey League with Kucherov and Stamkos doing what they're doing, 
and then look up and see the Kings tied in gold differential. That's pretty impressive in, in the start to bring in a new system and a new coach and a few rookies and, and second-year players contributing. Um, I think that bodes well for the Kings. Now, with the Knights... Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, let's go, down, at, let's go down the Vegas lane. Uh, you know, I'm starting to wonder, you know, what are they feeding these goalies? You know, at first, you know, obviously they have uh, their number one goalie, a two-time Stanley Cup guy, and Mark Andre Fleury, so wasn't surprised that he put the team on his back a bit, played excellent early on. Then he got hurt, and the fact that it's a, another concussion is a bit worrisome, and you're like, okay, here we go. Malcolm Subban, who's the guy who really, the, the, the best thing you can say about it is he's young, he's a former first-round pick, I picked him up both waivers for the future possibly, really hasn't done anything great in the AHL, so he comes on. He gets now the the starting role. He plays unbelievable, and then he gets hurt. He's got a lower body injury, and he's out a month. Like, all right, well now, you know, the the wall's going to start coming down. And they they the, the third goalie, Mr. Dansk, if I'm saying his name right, uh, he's been all world, and you know he he comes in the middle of the game. That Subban gets hurt, wins that one wins the next couple. I mean, what the goalie play has just been ridiculous with the Knights. Um, yeah, the winning the next one, I think you're underestimating. That was against the Chicago Blackhawks um, in the yeah. first NHL. And start. they won it, and they and they and they won again last night. They destroyed Colorado. Destroyed Colorado yesterday. We had a 3 p.m. matinee here in Las Vegas, um, and he second NHL start, first NHL shutout. All credit has to go to David Pryor. Um, he was with the Washington Capitals with George McPhee. He coached Ole the goalie, if you remember Olaf Kozik. He coached him to a Vezina sure. Trophy. Um, also, you know, obviously Holpe had was under his tutelage winning the Stanley – not Stanley Cup, another Vezina Trophy. He brought in, to, at least into the – the Washington Capitals system out of the draft. Simeon Varlamov, Vezina Trophy winner. Michael Neuberth, Philip Grubauer, both solid NHL goaltenders as well. So bringing David Pryor over, I think, is paying huge dividends now. Now you go back and look at the Calvin Picard trade. Didn't, yeah. When, when Subban went down, that I was like, oh, man, it sure would be nice if, if Picard was still here. But, uh, yeah, you, you take a goaltender who was basically given up on by, by the team that drafted him, the Boston Bruins, and you bring him in, and he, he's almost play, uh, one of the top three players of the week uh, with a 2-0 and and a sub-two goals against average. Like you said, he gets hurt in the St. Louis game. Uh, Dance comes in, gives up a goal on the first shot he faced, and they're like, okay, we're, that's, something had to bring this team back to earth. Here we go. And then there was a play in overtime in that St. Louis game, and I forget who the St. Louis Blues player was, but he was all alone in the slot. And enough time to pick his spot, size it up, and let it go. And Dance threw out his right pad and blocker and smothered that puck. And, and less than 30 seconds later, the, the Knights go the other way in the two-on-one. And I think Carlson won that game. Uh, Carlson or Lindbergh. So the, the goalie thing, David Pryor has to get – all the credit in the world for for bringing these yeah. kids along. How how much, how much longer it can last? 
as far as goalie goes, we had a report yesterday that Flurry would not be leaving on the seven seven road trip that the the Knights are embarking on. So getting getting yesterday's seven nothing win was a great way to to finish the homestand, eight and one. Um, I I can point to some statistics that will tell you know I had the team. Nobody had them eight, eight and one, but I had them. I had them losing to Dallas, beating Arizona twice, beating Detroit, beating Colorado. So I had them with four wins, and then obviously I had them losing, losing Dallas, losing Boston, losing St. Louis, losing Chicago. Well, the only game they lost was the was the Detroit game, which they were winning three to two when Flurry took the knee in the head. And for whatever reason, and I don't hear this being talked about too much, he was not taken out of the game for concussion protocol and gave up four goals, two of which were absolute, I mean, indicators that something was wrong. There was just a flippy wrist shot thrown at the net, hoping, you know, from the blue line. And and Fleury just swiped his glove and just missed it. Okay, that's, that's, something's not right here. And, you know, for whatever reason, they were winning that game too. The team could easily be 9-0 right now. And then I, I don't know, but, but some of the things that they're doing, they're last, when I check last, they're fourth on the league in faceoffs. They're first in the league in defensive zone faceoffs. So they're not letting the other team win the possession battle. They're getting, they're a fast team. So, and they have good puck movers on defense with Colin Miller, Nate Schmidt, um, a couple other guys back there do a good job of getting the puck up to the forwards and out of the zone in a hurry and getting it beat and their, their two-man forecheck is working brilliantly. They're always pressuring the puck. They're very good at getting sticks and passing lanes. So when the other team is in the offensive zone, they're not playing the tic-tac-toe game that we're used to seeing played against expansion teams. It's a one-and-done mentality. The pucks are swept over the corner. But I think if you have to look at one thing that is keen, the Golden Knights start, is something that can continue. They won the face-off battle yesterday. They won the face-off battle against Chicago. They won the face-off battle against St. Louis. They won the face-off battle against Arizona twice. The, the, the only game I believe that they lost the face-off battle was the first game in Dallas, and they got smothered like 48 to 30 or something. But ever since then, they've owned the dot. And with, especially when you're number one in the league and your defense is on face-offs, Chris, I don't have to tell you that that takes so much pressure off your defense. That takes so much pressure off off your goaltender where the other team doesn't get the puck and get a chance to set up in the offensive zone with fresh playing ice. Uh, especially after an icing call when you may have tired players out there, those opportunities that are not being presented to the other teams. And and I think more than anything, you can look at that as far as an analyst X and O kind of thing as to what's keen this Golden Knights run. And I think it's sustainable. I don't think this is a lot of people are talking about flash in the pan, early season strength of schedule. And, but, but now they've beaten Dallas, Chicago, St. Louis, Boston. I, once you've completed that homestand and Dallas on the road, that's not, I mean, yes, they beat Arizona twice. That's once you get into that St. Louis, Chicago, Boston stretch of the homestand, obviously everybody, including myself thought that was where we would find a struggle point. And, you know, they, they outplayed Chicago. They outplayed St. Louis. It wasn't a fluke. It wasn't a, it was, it was a hockey performance. And I think that these guys all showed up ready to prove something. And 
are they, you know, we we had a 20 game benchmark earlier in, in, in the show uh, a couple weeks back. I, I think when we get to that 20 game mark, I'm looking at a six or seven point road trip coming up, uh, beginning with against your Islanders Tuesday night. So I think yeah, if they can come eight home, their, if they, eight, go ahead. If they can come home from this road trip with six or seven points out of it, I think that's the springboard to the rest of the season. I really do. Um, I, I agree. I think these next three weeks, these next three weeks are going to be interesting. You know, they have a six-game uh, home stance, a six-game road trip. Excuse me, coming east. Then they're home for a game, and then they go back on the road for two. So eight of their next nine are on the road. So over those next three weeks. Uh, you know, if they are, you know, over 500 in those nine games, if they can go, you know, five and four even, uh, they're going to be in excellent shape. And, and really, we're going to have to take a strong look of, you know, what this season yeah. uh, might be. Uh, and, you know, it's probably the last thing George McPhee probably predicted, especially with all these free agents. I do want to get, before we have Zach on shortly, I do want to get to the one – Probably like the only real negative about the team is the soap opera with Vladimir Shipashov. You know, and now yeah. the, uh, the latest reports have McPhee and company giving the okay for him and his agents to to seek a trade. You know, maybe you know. At the end of the day, if 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 a team like Montreal or the Rangers who are desperate for center help, if they're like, you know what, we we need to do something. And they offer the Knights a third or fourth round pick, something along those lines. I think McPhee should just take it and move on. Well, a uh, couple roster moves to get to that that might lend shed some light on this. They they put Jason Garrison on waivers yesterday. They assigned Griffin Reinhardt to the AHL for a 14 day conditioning stint, and Shipishoff did report to the Wolves yesterday, finally. His agent's Peter Svoboda. Uh, hockey players, hockey fans know the name. He had to yep. have gotten in his ear and told him, you have no trade value if you don't show up and report to the Wolves. There's nothing I can do for you until you honor your contract, man up, go to Chicago, give somebody something to look at, uh, some sort of sample size playing the North American game on North American rinks that I can choose as an upside if you don't want to stay in Vegas. Um, right. The, the, it, it, it's just that simple. You can't just pout. And, I, and I'll go back to what I said two weeks ago. I wouldn't move him for, for a second. He has to go to the AHL. He's my player. If I don't, you said a third or a fourth, if I don't get a first round pick and have to eat no salary, he's going to sit in Chicago. He's, he's one of two or three waiver exempt players that allow McPhee roster flexibility. Now, it seems like maybe the Jason Garrison thing is going to free up a roster spot, but that's going to go to Shea Theodore. Uh, Shea Theodore has to be on the next call-up bus from Chicago. Yep. Um, that's, that's as good as the defense is playing for, for the Knights right now. Their best player may be sitting in the AHL. So the, the ship shop ain't coming up. When, when that roster spot gets gets opened up, that has to go to Theodore. Um, Reinhardt, 
still on the 23-man roster, so so we'll see what happens with that conditioning stint and what flexibility that has. But you knew Marshall was coming back. You knew Hollow was coming back to the lineup, and you knew Shipishev being the the really the only waiver extent forward that can go up and down. You knew he was going to go back to Chicago when those injuries were, were gone. Now, if there's another injury to a forward on the road trip, sure, they'll probably call him back up again. But it's interesting the tone that George McPhee used in the first time he got sent down. Uh, he mentioned that Theodore Shipashev and Tuck were his waiver exempt players. And Tuck's not going back, by the way. Tuck, Tuck's a beast, 6'4", right. He can skate. He's got hands. He's got skill. He's, he's on the NHL team for good. So that get, don't think about sending Tuck back and bring a Shipashev in. That's not going to happen. Um, so then you really have two players that are waiver exempt. Um, Shipashev and Theodore. And Theodore's coming up before Shipashev is. He has to go down there. He has yeah, to no, play. He has I, to earn his way back. I don't... I, yeah, I don't think there's really a role for Shipashoff on this team. And and uh, if I can get a decent draft pick to him, free up the cap space, you know, he's only signed through next season. And he, it's not like you're the team that gets him is building a future with him. He's a 30-year-old guy. Uh, you're not going to get a first-round pick to him. He has a decent cap hit. Uh, I, I would just kind of move on from it. I mean, uh, you, know, you know, if you want to say I need to get a two, all right, you know, uh, uh, but a two and a, and, a, and a prospect. Is that too much? Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I, 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 well, if they can get that, then then the scouting report around the league for Shippershaw prior to this training camp started, starting was pretty good. Uh, I, I don't, yeah. you know, again, I don't know. I don't know where that stood. I mean, obviously he did very well in the K. Uh, he put up a, a good amount of points. Uh, clearly, he would have a much more defined role if he had a good training camp and he played good in, in the exhibition games. And if he if he stood out, he he would have uh, you know be getting you know, at least on one of the top three lines. So uh, even though he had that waiver eligibility, uh, it wasn't like like oh my god, I can't believe they're doing this based on how he's played. So you know, again, we'll we'll see how that uh, see how that how that plays out. But the next three weeks is going to be an interesting time for the Knights. Well, to finish my thought real quick before we bring in Zach Devine to talk a little San Jose Sharks hockey. Um, so the first the first time he went down, uh, it was George McPhee was talking about the three waiver exempt players and the flexibility needed with the glut of defensemen and yada, yada, yada. And his reaction to that was he didn't report. And the only reason he came back up was due to an injury. And this time, George, at first they wouldn't even talk about it. He's in the AHL. Next question. But yesterday he did an interview on TSN where he said, you know, he's, he hasn't really assimilated into this North American game and the smaller size rink as well as we thought he would. There are players who've come out of the gate on fire and that are playing extremely well and playing hard and deserve on the on the NHL roster. And right now he's not one of them. So it's a drastic difference in tone between where we were three weeks ago and where we where we are now with Shibichev. So I think I think probably it's a combination of both that he may not be a fit in the room and he may not be assimilating well and his on ice performance. He did score a goal the other night from in the slot in his in one of his you know thirteen minutes a game. 
so that I mean that was encouraging, but there's there's still much more to see from him. And we're I, I don't I think he'll be in Chicago. I think he'll be in Chicago for at least a month before anything can happen. There's a a, a rumor mill came out last night that eight or nine teams have now got back to Agent Peter Svoboda and said no thanks. So that's you know he's got to go down to Chicago and put in you know put in 30 days work give give other teams a sample size of what he can bring in in to an NHL roster before anything happens and a lot of times you wait till Thanksgiving if 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 your team's you know to you know you got a quarter of the season under your belt and you assess your team's needs and if you think he can bring something to strength and a weakness that maybe then a team could could get him out of Vegas but you know I'm kind of I'm kind of in this this DBY mode of go to the minors. I told you to go, go. I'll call you when I need you. And, you know, I'm on record saying that Jonathan drew in was handled beautifully. And I think Shifashev should be handled the same. I don't, I don't see any difference in the situation. Let me bring in Zach Devine. He's here to talk a little bit about next year's draft, but more importantly, uh, the San Jose Sharks and, and see what the early season has brought uh zach welcome to the show thanks for coming in again buddy yeah great to be back and uh appreciate you guys having me on absolutely absolutely so break down the the san jose sharks start to the season a little bit if you could kind of a kind of a slow start but maybe that's maybe that's uh just the the struggle of having a little bit of an older roster and and getting the getting the fires burning again uh or is there is there something deeper to what we're, I still I still like the roster I still look at them to finish top three and they've picked up their play a little bit of late so was it just a little bit of slow out of the gate and and now we got the wheels turning a little bit in San Jose? I think it was definitely a slow start, but I think the most concerning part, especially for Doug Wilson, has to be the lack of secondary scoring. You know, Timo Meyer. Um, you know, the Sharks are playing right now against Buffalo, and there's a lot of chatter, uh, and I'm. Part of it, you know, does Meyer need more seasoning? He's had every opportunity. They've tried moving him around the lineup. He was a player that they counted on to help replace the departed Patrick Marlowe, and he's frankly just not getting the job done. Uh, you know, so with the, some of those younger players you were hoping to step in, uh, you know, Joel Ward again looks ineffectual this year. Uh, Michael Bodker just isn't clicking with whatever Peter DeVore is trying to do. So I think the Sharks – actually have some some more deep-seated issues especially with that secondary scoring kevin lebank has you know shown himself well with that top line and i think he belongs there um and brent burns has been cold you know so i you know burns is going to get back on track but the, the secondary scoring that's got to be a big concern Ab- absolutely absolutely now now vadim shifishoff might come over and be able to center a third line for you if if uh, you guys want to dangle a second over to vegas you know I, I feel like the sharks are pretty set at center you know thornton with uh, his new knee looks they, they definitely got that knee that uh, those ligaments out of a faster body uh, he, he's definitely <laughs> like like he's recovered well uh, Logan Couture is one of the better, you know, two C's in the league with solid two-way play. Uh, Tierney has done well. I like Ryan Carpenter. He's been a player that they've had down in the farm for a while. And as a fourth-line center, I think he's got a really reliable, consistent game. 
that you would want on your fourth line with a, a good infusion of, of talent and hard work. So, I, I mean, Shibashev, you know, he would certainly bring talent, but what would the Sharks send back? You know, right now, Tim Heat and Joachim Ryan, the top pairing from the Barracuda last season, are both in the lineup and playing exceedingly well, uh, leaving Dylan DeMello and Paul Martin, who's injured, uh, really not missed. So does Vegas really want yet another defender when they're waving them left and right and can't make yeah. roster moves because no, no, no. they've got it? Yeah, they got an NHL team and a half on the blue line. Yeah, and that's part of the reason why Shifashev is back in Chicago right now. He's one of only three waiver exempt players that Mr. McPhee has to has to wheel and deal and, and tweak the roster with. And one of those is Alex Tuck, and he's not going anywhere. The, uh, he's earned his spot now. And with the Jason Garrison waving yesterday and Griffin Reinhardt being assigned to the Wolves for – seasoning or, or conditioning or whatever they want to or they want to call it um the next call up is going to be Shea Theodore I was telling Chris earlier in the last segment that their best defenseman is in Chicago right now so yeah the ship is definitely yeah and Griffin Reinhardt you know, I watched him quite a bit with the Bakersfield Condors last year and I, I never understood that that draft pick at that selection I never understood that trade uh, I, I'm not seeing a consistent, steady defender out of Griffin Reinhardt in the NHL at this juncture. I, I think he still needs a lot of work. And with Shea Taylor still down there, I saw him quite a bit with the goals. You know, these are all West Coast players. I've been really lucky to right. get quite a few live viewings uh, in playoff situations, uh, you know, lots of games, both home and away. I, I feel like Theodore definitely belongs and you're, he's there only because he's waiver eligible. And that's a really tough Absolutely. way, even with the hot start Vegas has had. You know, you still want to be icing your best players. And the exposure Theodore would be getting in the NHL is only going to help you not just this year with this hot start, but down the road, not next year, the year after that. He's going to be a top four defender. Yes, yes. And getting in the minutes now and not – I mean, the start notwithstanding, face it, there's not much expected from the Golden Knights as far as as long-term this season. And getting him those minutes now on a night-in, night-out basis can't do anything but but turn him into that consistent top four, top three, top pair defenseman that uh, his ceiling is. But let's go back to the Sharks. We brought you in to talk yeah. Sharks. We digress <laughs> into the Vegas Golden Knights a little bit. So if Timo Meyer isn't the answer, who's down on the farm that uh, may be coming up if, if they do decide to, you know, you guys are right at the nine-game mark, right? So he can he can go down now. If they do decide to go that way, who who would be the first call up from from down below? Well, I think I think it really comes down to two players right now. Marcus Sorensen is the fastest player in the organization on a team that doesn't have great foot speed, uh, kills penalties. He's looked good for the the Barracuda. He's probably not the scorer that you would want to see on the secondary uh, scoring line, but he adds a lot, uh, you know, else to his game. And I I like him defensively even now uh, better than Meyer, who actually had a pretty bad gaffe on, on the Buffalo first goal, just completely forgot to pick up his uh, Ryan O'Reilly, who had a, a, a real squared up look at Aaron Dell. So Sorensen was there. He played for, you know, during the playoffs, it was a player that I thought showed himself well in, in the later stages. He got real hot with the Barracuda and never came back. 
um, was there with the Sharks for pretty much the last quarter of the season in the playoffs. Another player is Danny O'Regan, who, depending on where you are in, in the prospects, you know, he's not the biggest guy at about 5'10", but he plays smart. He's got good body positioning, sees the ice real well. He's got five goals in seven games uh, and seven points in seven games for the Barracuda. And so he's picked up right where he left off when he run a, won uh, AHL Rookie of the Year last season. So the Sharks do have some options down on the farm, uh, including Adam Haluka. You know, that's a player that I thought could be a dark horse candidate, and he's made me look real smart with uh, a real strong showing. He looks thicker, changed a lot this summer um, with his preparation, his diet. So that first year as a pro really showed him what it took, and, and he went out and did the hard work in the summer. So kudos to Adam Haluka for inserting himself as, as a dark horse candidate later in the year because he's a, he's a possession guy. He's got good size at 6'2", about two. I'd say he's probably closer to 210 right now. So, you know, a lot of smaller prospects outside of Timo Meyer. Luca adds size and skill. So he could be a player, probably not now, but maybe come spring. You know, if he's showing that consistency, could be an option for the Sharks as well. And let's not forget that Joachim Ryan and Tim Heat are in the lineup right now. One of those guys is going to have to go uh, back down to the Barracuda at some point, uh, just when Paul Martin gets healthy. So we'll see what the what Doug Wilson does. He's got some some bargaining chips. All right. Well, let me bring in Chris on the Vegas Hockey Podcast. Yeah, we're thrilled to have Zach back on the show. Uh, you can find his work at the Athletic. Uh, writes about the Sharks there, and uh, follow him also on Double of Prospects, where he writes about all the current NHL prospects as well as uh, the upcoming draft, which I want to hit him on. But real quick, I want to tell. Uh, Quick funny story, you know, last uh, spring we had Zach on a couple of times and he did our mock uh, draft show, which we're most uh, thankful for. And the guy that Zach kept uh, saying, banging the drum for, and it sounded like he was going to start a fan club for, was a Swedish defenseman named Robin Salo, and he really liked him a lot. Well, long story short, being out here in Long Island, New York, the Islanders didn't have a first-round pick last year. Uh, the draft uh, on Saturday has picks two through seven. I was out and about that day. And uh, it wasn't until the afternoon I got home. I said, oh, let me see, you know, what the Islanders did. Their first pick was 45th overall, mid-second round. And there I see it, Robin Salo. And I was never so excited, and there was no rhyme or reason for it, other than, well, Zach loves this guy. So I got to feel good about <laughs> it. So I want to thank Zach for making my day uh, that last Saturday in June. So, uh, uh, you know, he's probably a couple Kudos. of years away or so, but still. Yeah, so, uh, Zach, I've been re starting to, because I, I love the draft. I really get into it. My my Islanders have two first-round picks and two second-round picks, so it's going to be a big draft for them. Uh, what I've been reading about this draft, Zach, is a lot of comparisons to the 2015 draft. And uh, you mentioned before about Griffin Reinhardt as an example. You know, the Islanders traded away – him to Edmonton and wound up with the 16th and 27th overall picks and got Matthew Barzell and Anthony Bouvier. That's how good that draft was. But should I be this excited about this uh, draft coming up? Uh, and also, from what I read, this top potential top 10 is just loaded. Even if you have the 10th pick overall, you're going to get a heck of a hockey player. How do you see the overall picture at this early point for this June's draft? 
Yeah, I think this is going to be a really strong class. And I think, uh, I actually think it's pretty close also to, it has some similarities to last season where you've really got two players that are duking it out at the top. And that would be Rasmus Dahlin uh, and Andre uh, Shlisnikov. Uh, sorry, I always have trouble with those Russian names, too, too many V's in there. Uh, but uh, uh, with he's with the Barry Colts, and he's out right now. He, he broke his hand, so he's on the shelf for a bit. But I watched him quite a bit as in his D-1 year, and he probably was a top-10 pick uh, last season. You know, he, he tore up uh, USHL, just a, a heck of a player, big, strong kid. He's a right wing. Um, so not that coveted number one center that, you know, you'd want to get, but he's, he's certainly duking out with Ross, uh, Rasmus Stalin, who again, also as, as a, as a young player, he's been playing in the SHL. Now this, this is his second year. He's sitting at six points uh, for, for Linda and pretty much everything I'm seeing out of him. He's, he looks like the real deal uh, guy that I also like is Brady Kachuk. He's, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, another Real good uh, player out of out of that tree. You know his brother is Matthew, and I'll let you guess who his daddy is. And you know he's kind of got that same frame, but I, I think he has more skill than either his 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 old man or his brother. I think I like his hands a little bit better. And you know Matthew stepped right into the NHL and just made uh, the Flames look like they got a steal. Uh, and that was a player that was a riser um, for me. So Brady Kachuk, I think, has a little bit better uh, touch with the puck. And he's still, I mean, he's just turned 18, 6'3", and already 196 pounds. You know, just just a beast of a kid. Probably doesn't have quite the, uh, the edge that Matthew has, but he's a guy that I really like. That if you're in that top, you know, top five, there's a pick for you as well. Um, and then once again, you know, Halifax Mooseheads with uh, Philip Zadina, He's just uh, another import. They seem to find him in Halifax. You know, Ellers, Meyer, Hersher, they, they just seem to just go through Halifax and they're just churning out import talent out there in the queue. Uh, he, you know, he's already at 21 points in 14 games. Uh, he's, again, he's a winger, uh, but still, you know, that, that's just a, a lot of, of talent that you're going to be able to get at the wing. And, and I think also this is going to be a heck of a year for defenders. You know, Rasmus Dahlin, who pretty much everyone has is one or two in their rankings, and I concur with that. Then you've got Adam Boquist. You've got Quentin Hughes over at the University of Michigan. you got Ty Smith. Uh, Jet Wu, who I watched quite a bit with uh, the Moose Jaw Warriors. He's a teammate of Sharks prospect Noah Gregor. Um, you know, he's going to be available there. Uh, Bodie Wild, who's with the program out in Plymouth, you know, there's just a lot of good defenders here. Um, another guy that I think people forget, they've, they've seen so darn much of, of Evan Bouchard with the London Knights. Um, I think he could be a first round pick as well. He's been playing with the Knights for, I think this is his fourth year already and it's his draft year. Um, you know, I, I've just seen a lot of him, uh, real consistent player, but maybe not the high-end talent, but certainly has the toolbox uh, that you need to, to be a, a top prospect, I think. Yeah, and uh, like you mentioned, I believe uh, some of the lists I saw that besides, I forget who's the third one, but I think it was uh, for the U.S., show you how strong U.S. hockey is. I, 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 the list I saw uh, 
there were three kids projected to go in the top ten to Chuck, uh, Bodie, and uh, another kid whose name is escaping me at the moment. Probably Oliver Wallstrom, who's, who's okay. sitting there at 19 points. And uh, he, he plays both center and, and wing, so some versatility there. And then Joel Fabry, he's up there uh, as well for a, on a lot of lists. Um, you know, Wallstrom's got some size, too. He's 6'1 at 205. And you've really got to like what the, the national team is doing out there in Plymouth. They're just, you know, they, they keep the kids together for two years with the same coach. They really learn the system. Um, Wallstrom looks to have taken a, a good big step forward. You know, he's, I, I think when it's all said and done, you know, I'm real early. I haven't even started ranking anyone. I feel like there's just not enough viewings in their draft year. But Wallstrom, for me, that's a guy that I'm already – leaning on it's like yeah i think he's going to be somewhere in my top five i i just the the bits i've seen out of him there's just a lot of um just a lot to like and, and he's he's young you know he's a two, he's a june 2000 and so he's getting it done while you know being you know six to nine months uh behind in, in physical development of some of you know the late births the 99s um and so that, that makes it just even a little bit more impressive. And then Joe Valeno is a guy that, uh, you know, he's... Oh, I think that's who it was. Yeah, I think that's the name. Uh, yeah, he's uh, with the St. John uh, Sea Dogs, um, you know, out there in the queue. And he's he's had a bit of a slow start. I I, kinda, I don't like comparisons, but he re- reminds me a lot of uh, Leas Anderson from this past draft. Just a real complete player that could, um, that could make the NHL straight away, you know, with just a real well-rounded game he's he doesn't he's not uh, excellent in any one area but there's no holes either and that's what i saw at elias anderson and i'm seeing that out of uh joe out there with the sea dogs before i hand it back to mark there uh i know it's early but is there a rookie that you've been following through the prospect ranks uh be it an alex to to bring cat be it uh you know uh you know, Nico Herschler, maybe a Matthew Barzell. Uh, <laughs> is there a, a rookie out there that you've been impressed uh, impressed with that you think uh, watch out this season for? You know, it's it's a real good year for young players, isn't it, in the NHL? We're really kind of getting a treat. Um, there's so many. I mean, a player that, and, and Chris, you've known this over the years, that I've just been huge on has been Clayton Keller. And I know Arizona's oh, yeah. having some trouble, but boy, watching Clayton Keller, he he doesn't have the best eyes, but his vision, his touch with the puck, what he's able to do in his rookie season, um, it, he's going to be an elite player. You know, he, I don't get every player right. I totally swung and miss on uh, on uh, Aaron Ekblad. You know, uh, I wasn't a, a huge uh, fan of Debrinkat, who, who's proving me wrong as well, to, to pick one of your names uh, there. But I feel like Clayton Keller, that's one that I <laughs> I actually got right. Miko uh, yeah, Hersher, too. You know, that, he was my number one player last year. And um, pretty early on, you know, pretty much right around Christmas, I said, yeah, that's my, that's my guy. I think he's number one. And watching what he's done stepping in with New Jersey, um, he looks like he belongs, you know, just in the first couple games, didn't miss a step whatsoever. So, but I, I think Keller is a guy that, you know, spent that year with, with Boston, who I, you know, the Terriers, who I lovingly call the national team East. 
Um, everyone seems to go there uh, once they stop in Plymouth. But I, I think Clayton Keller would be my top pick just because what he's doing and and just that vision. Just you know, it's it's so impressive to see such a young player with that awareness on the ice. Actually, I have one more for Zach, and then I'm going to hold you over here. Zach, since you're out on the West Coast, I don't know how much you get to see them. You mentioned about Clayton Carroll, how, Keller, how well he's played. Can you explain what's going on in Arizona? I know they're young, but they seem to have a lot of – I know the goaltending has a long way to go, but they seem to have a lot of talent. I mean, to be 0-9-1, uh, can, you, can you bring some sense to what's going on out there? Yeah, you look at their roster and just nothing really lines up there, does it? Um, you know, uh, Brandon Perlini is a player that, you know, kind of bounced back and forth. He's a guy that I really like there. Obviously, Christian Fisher, Christian Dvorak, uh, Max Domi needs no introduction. Uh, Derek Stefan was, a, I think, was really underrated out in New York, and I, I, he was, I thought that was a really smart get for them. And their blue line, even with Chikrin out, you know, injured right now. I wish I had an answer for you. I, I think it could, it, could it just be a young team that's learning all together. You know, the, the, the Barracuda have a bit of that right now where they're struggling to kind of regain their identity from last season because um, they have 10 rookies in the lineup. And you go down this, this lineup for Arizona, the, the blue line is pretty well seasoned. And they've got Jason Demers. You know, Oliver ekman Larson, Goligoski, uh, Nicol- uh, Nicholas Harmelson. How do you always? Oh, don't, don't even ask. Don't even ask. Yeah. Darmelson. Yeah, that always takes me a second. Um, he hasn't looked like the player we saw in Chicago, and, and he's adjusting to his surroundings. I, I, he's just too good of a player to not figure it out, though. I think he'll get it sorted out. But, you know, the, the average age of that club is 25. And that's just a really young squad. And I, I think it's just a lot of those young players that are being counted on, um, you know, kind of the key players that you talk about with, with their youth. Um, Max Domi's the old man at 22, if, you know, if you don't count Tobias Reader. But that, that's just a lot of young players that you're bringing in all at the same time. Um, I, th- I thought Ronta looks good. You know, he's on the shelf, you know, for a little bit. They just traded for Scott Wedgwood uh, earlier this morning to kind of shore up their their goaltending while, while he's out. So maybe that injury is, you know, going to drag further than previously thought. But, I, you know, they're a tomorrow team. They're not a team that's going to, you know, make any noise in the playoffs. These, this is still a really young team. But I would still say that with everything they're bringing in, they're on pace. I, I wouldn't blow anything up you know, whatsoever. It's a young squad. You can wait a year or two to be patient because when this all clicks together, they're going to be a, a team to be uh, reckoned with. Well, all right, we're talking with Zach Devine, uh, Sharks contributor at The Athletic, and also does work with Dauber Prospects for the NHL entry draft, scouting out the amateurs, and, and obviously great content and great knowledge of that, way more than what, what I or Chris could probably bring to the table. So we really appreciate you taking the time with us. Real quick, we have a couple of minutes left. I just wanted to get your take from afar on what what you're hearing and seeing out of the Vegas Golden Knights. Um, 
what what's being said over in in your neck of the woods flashing the plan strength of schedule we hear all the negative stuff here but give me if if you feel any give me a couple of positives about the roster and the way they're playing right now that that may carry over into the rest of the season because i i know when i look at it and the the faceoffs being second in the league in faceoffs and first in the league in defensive zone faceoffs before yesterday's game, I believe, maybe fourth in the league overall, first overall in defensive zone faceoffs. That gives the, this team who does have speed and does have a little bit of skill, it doesn't put any pressure on the goalies. Obviously, there's some kind of weird black magic voodoo going on where you can have a, a, a guy who's never played in the NHL before come in, shut out, shut out uh, Colorado in his second career start, beat St. Or Chicago in his first career start, come in and relief and beat St. Louis. You know, that's the the thing that I don't get. But what are you what are you seeing? You know, as a Pacific Division rival who maybe you've had your eye on. What what are you seeing in early here in the season that makes you shake your head and go, hmm, that could be sticking power. You know, with expansion teams and and let's let's not kid ourselves. Vegas had the most advantageous. Uh, expansion rule set to come into the league that the NHL has ever seen. Uh, That said, yeah, ever, you know, for without doubt, you know, without batting a single lot. I think James, you know, James Neal, you know, that's been a a heck of a story, you know, sitting there with seven goals and three assists, uh, certainly earning his real deal. uh, James Neal nickname there. Um, The the forward group looks to be really solid. I, I like Lindbergh. You know, right now he's sitting at four goals, but I thought that was a real smart get. Uh, Cody Eakin, I'm not sure he's quite the answer for you guys on the power play, but I think he's another underrated player that could have been playing a little bit higher in the lineup with with Dallas. Uh, Yeah. There's just so many pieces. And, you know, and and let's not forget, you know, these are all players that are naturally going to have a chip on their shoulder altogether. You know, these were players that their their old squads thought, well, they're, you know – they're just not part of the core moving forward. And so every single one of these players has something to prove that they do belong, that they are a core player. And so, you know, don't discount that. The, the one thing that, Absolutely. you know, even with Flurry, who I, again, that was, you know, was, you can pick up a two time Stanley cup, you know, winner that that's a heck of a get for you. Three times, um, three times. Yeah. Three times. Uh, that's, <laughs> But he's been on the show. Well, one of them I try to forget as a as you know somebody covering the show. <laughs> ten four, uh, ten four. Yeah, it, it, it was almost working until you reminded me of it. Uh, but uh, goaltending, I think, is going to be the question mark because Flurry has had his his nicks and scrapes, you know, during the season. Um, I Subban, I, I know he played, you know, incredibly well, but I'm just not really sold on him or Dansk long term. I know that's sure. a really unpopular opinion, but if the goaltending can somehow hold together, um, I, you know, you still have Shea Theodore to pull up on for that blue line. The forwards seem to be meshing well. This could be a squad that, yeah, that I don't know if they're going to win the Pacific, but I think that they could be in the mix at the end of it uh, for a for a playoff spot. And I think that's really what here on the West Coast that you're looking at anyone thinking that Vegas was just going to be a bottom dweller all of a sudden has to look at the team they're covering, you know, with some of the other writers and scouts that I, that I talked to, 
um, and say, well, you at least have to account for them being in the mix now, as opposed to, well, there's one extra spot open. And, and I want to agree. Yeah, and as a, as a first team, sorry, real quick, as a yeah. as a first year team, you you have to take that as just a, a massive wild success. I wonder though, guys, if you're George McPhee, is that I mean, I'm not saying he wants the team to lose, but you know, a lot of these guys, Neil, Perron, they're all going to be free agents. I think they have like nine unrestricted free agents, like half the roster. And I'm sure he would keep one or two of them and then trade the others for a bunch of picks and a bunch of prospects to build this franchise. I wonder if that could be a little bit of a dilemma for McPhee come come February. And not only that, that people were going to want him to trade pieces, trade futures to add to this team now. I wonder if he might find himself in a situation probably never thought was uh, would be possible. 100%. Yeah, but what a wonderful – Sorry. It's a great what a wonderful to problem to have, though. For sure. And as competitive as owner as Bill Foley is, I know he's going to be like, "Hey, man, let's just ride this. Let's just ride this." Um, but you got to you got to look long term with this. Zach, it's been great to have you on again. It's always it's always fun talking hockey with you, sir. You know you know what you're talking about. Anybody who wants to go over to the Athletic and check out his San Jose Sharks contact, you're not going to be disappointed. Make sure you guys follow Zachary at Zach the Bear, Z-A-K-K the Bear on Twitter, and he'll link all his Sharks and Dauber Prospects content through his Twitter feed. Uh, Zach, thank you again for spending some time. I know your Sharks are, are on the board now, so we'll let you go and get to your hockey game, and we'll talk to you again down the road, sir. Definitely. Thank you so much, guys. Love your show. Always appreciate being part of it. Thanks, Zach. Awesome, awesome. And now, who's been patiently waiting for us, I'll bring in Mark Scheig, who covers the Blue Jackets over at thehockeywriters.com. Always a great stable of writers to pull from when we're looking for our guests, and Scheiger's no different. He's been on the show quite a few times. Mark, thank you for being patient and coming in on a Saturday afternoon, sir. Well, it's always a pleasure to join you two. Thanks for having me again. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, so we're off to a we're off to a good start there in hashtag Lombus Land. Um, what's going right with this club? Hmm. Well, it, it always when you talk about the Blue Jackets, you always have to talk about Sergei Bobrovsky, and he's up to his old tricks again. So six games, he's got six wins, and in five of the six wins, he's allowed one goal or less. I mean, what what more can do you want from from a goaltender? Someone Absolutely. who's won multiple Vesnas has a chance to win a third. I mean, it starts with the goaltending. The defense in front of him is as solid as it gets. Even with one of the top six injured, to throw somebody who played 66 games last year in and Marcus Nuevera to cover for him just kind of goes to show you the depth that the Blue Jackets have. And then up front, it's maybe not as good of a picture as it, as 7-3 and three might sound for the record, but – you look at a couple of different spots. Sonny Milano, I know we're going to talk about him in a little bit. He leads the team in goals. I mean, what more do you want from the, from a rookie? Artemi Panarin is the real He's another guy who <laughs> a lot of people, he was going to produce, you know, kind of away from Patrick Kane. He leads the team in scoring. So yeah, there's included. a lot of different things. And you, you, you combine them, they're off to their best start in franchise history with seven and three. Yeah, very impressive, very impressive. Uh, if we're looking 
if we're looking down the road, are those are those uh, out of the gate numbers? Are we going to come back to regress to the mean, if we will, if you will, or are we seeing um, kind of the caliber of play that we can expect out of the Blue Jackets to be sustained for the long term here? That's a great question. I, I don't think they're playing that well, despite their seven and three. Really? If you look at the if you look at some of the yeah if you look at some of the advanced numbers, they suggest that they are a really good team and that they, most of it can be sustained. And there's some guys that are struggling. Alexander Wenberg right now not playing good hockey. Brandon Dubinsky probably because of the wrist injury, not playing good hockey. If the Blue Jackets have a soft spot, it's down the middle. And they've had to put Nick Foligno in the middle as somebody who's been really impressive. Who He hasn't played much center, but he's been able to go in there. He's acting as their top-line center right now. So the fact that they're able to be 7-3, and three, yeah, it really speaks to what Bobrovsky's doing, what this defense is doing. That's, that's where their bread and butter is, at, is on the back end. And I believe that can be sustained for a lot of the season. And I think they can – improve on the offensive end. And the thing to look for now will be, are they going to address their center depth? Um, really not a true number one center on the roster right now. I mean, a lot of people looked at Wenberg as one, but he's playing as their third line center right now. Um, so it, it can definitely get better for them despite the seven and three. It'd just be interesting to see what they do. Now they have gone through past the nine game point with Pierre-Luc Dubois um, what what is he up to, and kind of kind of break down what you've seen from him through the first ten games of the season. And is is he a guy that that is on the needs to get better list, or or is he on the you know not too bad? You know he's got his nine games, and and we're right where we should be with him. Well, I actually just wrote about him today, did a piece today on the hockeywriters.com where we did our 10-game report cards. And on Dubois, I gave him a C plus. Now, I'm a little bit of a different grader than, you know, just traditional A, B, C, D, F. Um, I basically look at a C as average. So I think that he's been maybe a little better than we thought. It's just now he's running into a little bit of a problem where, the top nine is pretty much set for now. He finds himself playing on the fourth line, playing limited minutes. But the minutes that he does get, he's been okay. Um, he's a little nervous on the offensive end. I mean, it's kind of expected for somebody who's kind of breaking into the league. He's holding his own on the defensive end when he gets the chance, and he occasionally plays on the power play. And he, a lot of people thought maybe he would be a third-line center coming in. He's time. So I think they're easing him in. I think there's a lot of opportunity for improvement and he's got to show. I mean, if he wants to play in the top nine, he's got to show that his play justifies it. And right now he finds himself on the fourth line until further notice. But I think that's all slowly easing him in, trying to be part of, uh, you know, trying to get him into his development. But I, I think he's done okay for what they're asking him to do at this point. 
Well, we're talking with Mark Scheig, the Columbus Blue Jackets contributor over at thehockeywriters.com here on the Vegas Hockey Podcast. And there's a, a certain player near and dear to the New York boys' heart over on Long Island, if you will. Uh, I want to bring in Chris, and we can take a look at Sonny Milano. Yeah, so, uh, you know, we all know the big hockey hotbed here in the States in Long Island, New York. We got Charlie McAvoy. We got Sonny Milano. Uh, uh, you know, more coming. Uh, so, Mark, all kidding aside, besides the goals scored so far, what has been the difference with Sonny Milano, who the Long Island part aside, I mean, this was a kid who was the 16th overall pick in the 2014 draft and who Columbus has been waiting on. What else besides this game is clicking? Well, he's finally confident. I think in years past there was a little bit of an element of, you know, he didn't he didn't make it, then he didn't make it, then he didn't make it again. You kind of wonder where his confidence was. He made it a point this year to take the summer. He knew what to expect. It was his fourth camp, and he was one of the better players in the entire on the entire team when it came to camp. So he he had a point to prove, and he wasn't going to go back to Cleveland. I think the big turnaround for him, though, was his play on the defensive end. And I think it started in Cleveland in the AHL last year where Coach John Madden, um, former Devils player, basically went to him and said, you know what, I'm not even going to play you if you're not going to play defense. I mean, everyone knows Sonny Milano from the, the, the YouTube sensation and the skills that he has. But they wanted to get better on the defensive end, and they said, you know what, you're not going to play. And he took that as a challenge, and by the time things got rolling with Cleveland, he was on their top penalty kill. He was out at the end of the game trying to protect the lead. He was doing things that he wasn't doing before, and he was slowly rounding into a better two-way player, and he was able to take that into the summer where he worked with some coaches on improving his shot, improving his defense, then went into camp and impressed everybody, and now has earned a spot on the team. Now, again, like Dubois, he's on the fourth line right now, getting kind of limited minutes, which is a little bit of an odd dynamic when he's the leading scorer on the team. You can just tell that he's miles farther along than he was last year, where he he belongs in the NHL. It's just now he needs an opportunity to – you know, show the kind of skill that he has. And I think the team is slowly working him into the mix a little bit. I think as the year goes on, when there's going to be a need for more offense, we're going to see him maybe in the top six, top nine. He started the season on the top six. And if you remember the Carolina game, he single-handedly won that game, you know, beating the Carolina Hurricanes two to one in overtime. And he had that great breakaway goal. It, it, it just puts into perspective the kind of player that he could be He's still got a little bit of ways to go on the defensive end, but they really like him, and I think that it wouldn't be out of the question to, you know, if he gets the opportunity, you know, he's already got the five, um, five goals so far, why not put him in the Calder conversation if he can keep this up? He's got that kind of skill, so we'll see where this goes. You know, Mark, uh, you mentioned something before about the about Columbus team you know, a little soft down the middle, needing help at the center. You know, this trauma of Matthew Shane that just, the, the, the proper, that just never ends. Columbus was very prominent, uh, according to all the rumor talks and speculation talks over the summer. But here's the thing uh, I, uh, that I look at, and I know Columbus 
it feels like they probably have a chance for special season this year and next. But are they, uh, uh, you know, you, 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 of course, are aware of this with their cap. There's a little bit of a crunch coming up. I mean, they have to sign Atkinson, who's a USA, after this season. So I believe it's Jack Johnson, Bobrovsky after next season. So there, there's, there's a bit of a, uh, that to consider. And Duchesne is only signed through next season as well. Uh, it seems to me impossible if they were to pull off a Matt Duchesne trade that by, by either the end of this year or next year, it's going to be at the cost of losing someone, plus putting together a package of a top young player, top prospect, and a, and a first-round pick, and some combination thereof to make Colorado happy. Is that something, given all those givens, you can see Colorado, uh, Columbus going going down that kind of path? Absolutely not. Um, yeah, I let's, let's talk about this situation, because I think there's a lot of interesting dynamics to the Duchesne thing. Um, you just said it, Chris. I mean... Why would you want to give up that much in a price if you know that the player Duchesne might his contract expires after next season? You have no guarantee that he's going to re-sign with your team. So you had better be darn well sure that you have something from him saying that yes, he will re-sign with you if you're going to give up that kind of caliber thing. Um, should they go after? Should they continue to see if he's available? Yeah, I mean. He would obviously help your team, but not at the price that is rumored to be out there. And so I kind of want to spin this to say, do the Blue Jackets need to address center depth? Absolutely. I'm just not sure that Duchesne is the player, given the dynamics of what a trade would look like. I'm going to give you guys something else that I recently wrote about that I think at least the Blue Jackets should pay attention to, depending how the season goes with them, with this other player, and that's Jason Spezza down in Dallas. Now, I'm not sure how much you guys have seen as of late, but it, just, it seems like that his, his time on ice is going down. He's been out down around 12 minutes a night. He's their second highest paid player. He's a center, but he's played on the wing. There's been times in, during games where it looks like he's been benched for stretches. It seems like Ken Hitchcock hasn't been too big of a fan of him. That would, in my opinion, be an easier trade to pull off, especially if Dallas is trying to get rid of that kind of a contract, seven and a half this year, seven and a half next year. Duchesne is $6 million, so you're not talking about that much of a difference. But the big difference for Columbus is it wouldn't take as much to acquire a guy like that because Dallas would try to offload that salary. You wouldn't have to give as much to – make it work. And you're talking about a 34 year old player who can still score you some goals, who, who, who can win face off the blue jackets are dead last in the league at 43% in the face off dot. And you get a guy who can win 56%. Why not look at somebody that's a little easier to acquire. And then one other thing that you, you mentioned the whole, well, they've got to sign a lot of guys. Absolutely. That's a huge consideration. You've got the guys you mentioned, and Artemi Panarin, who, whose contract yeah. expires after well. So you've got to make some really hard decisions. Do you keep Jack Johnson? Do you keep Cam Atkinson? Here's a thought. If you're, if, and this is a big if. I mean, obviously, the Blue Jackets want to keep as many players as they can. But if they decide to not want to keep Cam Atkinson, let's say, he's an unrestricted after this year, 
if he scores 30 goals again, he's probably going to get six to seven million dollars a year in free agency. Can the Blue oh, Jackets? I think he's going to get eight. Uh, he get eight. Yeah, he's a, 60, he he's a 60 point point, sixty point player. That's what they're getting now. Yeah, are the Blue Jackets going to sign a guy like him when they <coughs> have Oliver Bjorkstrand and Anderson on the roster? Why not flip him to Dallas? for Spezza and another piece if Dallas retains some salary. Why not do that? Because they're not going to run the risk of losing Atkinson for nothing. So if they determine that they're not going to sign him again, get something for him. And I, I definitely think that you see the elements of a trade there. Why not flip Atkinson for Spezza if, if you're not going to keep Atkinson, if it's going to help address the need down the middle for you? Yeah, just to wrap this up before uh, giving you back to Mark there about uh, Mark Warner, um, you know, even if they could pull off a Duchesne trade uh, and and sign him to an extension before him coming on board, um, he might say, "Well, at least you won't lose him now." They're they're going with the way the cap is and the way the salaries are going. It will come at the cost of losing someone else. If it's Atkinson, if it's Panarin, they it's just. Uh, Again, I mentioned eight. Uh, Ryan uh, Ryan Johansson of Nashville. He had 60 points. He got eight million a year. Uh, he was one year away from free agency. I, I'm, if Atkinson, who I believe has broken 60 points the last two years, if he can get duplicate that or pretty much get close to that number, I think his number is eight million, at least eight million a year. And obviously, he'd be on the open market. So, uh, you know that. And again, that's kind of a tricky thing. And I'll leave you with this. Uh, I'll hand you up with, to Mark with this, uh, uh, Mark, uh, is because I saw this with the Islanders a couple of years ago when they had Kyle Oposo and Franz Nielsen uh, both going to be pending free agents. They were hoping to re-sign at least one of them. And people after the fact said, well, how could they hold, not get anything for him? Well, they were trying to put together a pretty special season that year. And uh, I believe that was uh, the year they, they, they lost to the Lightning in the playoffs in the second round. So if you're Columbus and your team was never won a playoff series, how do you how do you balance that? I mean, if you're like, you know, if it's January and you know that Atkinson's not going to be in your team after this year, you've come to that conclusion, but you need him for this year, I, I mean, how do you balance that? Well, you, you have to – it depends on the situation. They're, they don't want to. They obviously want to try to sign him if they can, but at the same time, they realize what's down the road. And Bobrovsky is another one that they would have to consider. And there's somebody who could get ten million dollars now. I mean, considering what oh. Carey Price is getting. So, um, they. That's a great question. I think ultimately they're going to have to find the right kind of deal that's going to help improve their team. So that's why if they try to deal Atkinson, it has got to be for a center that's going to help them at least this year and next year, and then maybe beyond, depending on who they're able to grasp. The balance there is finding the right deal because, right, there's going to be a certain point that this team is hungry. They want to win that playoff series. But at the same time, you have to do well with asset management. If there's one thing that's been maybe a little questionable um, in certain aspects on this regime, we're talking about the Garmo Kekalai and John Davidson, there's been some questionable asset management. 
So they cannot afford to let Atkinson go for nothing. So I think they're going to look at all possibilities and they're going to try to improve their team with a, with a, a good trade and they're going to do everything that they can to avoid losing him for nothing because, right, you said he can, you can get stuff for him, and but it has to oh, be yeah, in the right but, situation. But will, you, but will you weaken your team this year by doing it? You know what I mean? So I remember people at the time <laughs> criticizing yeah. the Islanders not trading Kyle Oposo for a pick and a prospect. like the Islanders weren't at that place in that time anymore. And I, how do you tell your fan base who well, you're trying to have a special season well, I didn't want him to walk out the door for nothing, so I needed to trade him for a pick and a prospect. Well, if you bring a center back, right, we talked about the center. Issues. Right. If you bring a guy back that addresses that need, to me that's a win. Now, it's got to be comparable. They're not just going to drop him for nothing. So there is a little bit of risk there, obviously, and they are going to look to see if they can get him. But they're going to look to improve down the middle, and that would be an interesting piece to include, you know, considering that he's an unrestricted free agent based somebody who can get you 30 goals. So it'll be very interesting to watch. Um, but, yeah, very valid question on your part. Well, tonight tonight will be a good test uh, on the road against St. Louis. Uh, and all that trade speculation, if if Columbus continues to play along at the clip they have, and, and according to you, Mark, they still have room to grow within, you know, the current roster, is it, oh, yeah. is it out of the realm of possibility that this team stands pat until the trade deadline? I don't see, you know, it, if it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of a thing. Well, and and that's the thing. There's different parts of this team that are struggling and taking a close look at it. Do they stand pat until the trade deadline? If they find the right deal, they'll do it when they they'll do it when they see the right deal. It does they don't necessarily have to wait until the end of February to make the right move. They're constantly looking, especially at center depth. They know they need help there. So if they see something in December that works for them, they're going to do it. Um, yeah, they're, I mean, look how they're the youngest team in the league, the Columbus Blue Jackets, if you, if you can believe that. They were young last year. They're even younger this year with Milano and Dubois on the roster, and they have tons of room to grow. I, Alexander Wenberg has tons of room to grow. A lot of people forget he's just in his low 20s at this point. So, yes, it, it's encouraging to see the 7-3 and three start but it's the youngest team in the league that has a seven and three start. So given that room that they can improve developmentally wise, yeah, the sky is absolutely the limit for this team. Um, but if they don't address the center depth and then say they run into the Pittsburgh Penguins in the playoffs again, who have all the center depth the world-class center depth that they have, they could be out of the playoffs. And so they know that they have to address it. I don't think they'll wait. If they find the right deal, they'll make it. Yarmo is someone who, well, remember, Seth Jones for Ryan Johansson straight up. He's not afraid to make a deal if it right. improves his team. So, yeah, it, it could happen even tomorrow for all we know. I mean, if it's the right deal. he's all, he, He'll never talk about his strategy, but the thing he says that we're, we're always looking to improve our team. So doesn't have to wait till February 28th, you know. Stay tuned. They're definitely looking. You know, Mark, I got one more for you. In terms of the, you know, knowing the Metro so well, 
Um, a few surprises. I mean, the Devils, who looks like a surefire bottom five team, is off to uh, a, t- uh, a terrific start. Uh, and then the Capitals have been a bit underwhelming, and the Rangers have really struggled. Um, you saw the Rangers, uh, Columbus play the Rangers, probably one of the Rangers' better games of the year, even though they lost. Uh, what, what do you think about those three particular teams? I actually said preseason, look out for the Devils. And the reason really? that I said that, I did, because their speed. They were a much faster team. And in this day and age in, in hockey, um, and, and just that, my, my colleague, Chad, who covers the Sabres, I mean, he was the one that asked that question, who was your surprise team prior to the season? And a lot of people jumped on Carolina. And I'm like, you know, I'm going to be a little bit different. I'm going to say, watch out for New Jersey. Schneider's going to get better. You have a much younger team who's a lot faster. Marcus Johansson's a pretty good player. You combine all those factors. I mean, I don't, I don't think a lot of people saw, like, Will Butcher and Jesper Brat coming to life right off the bat. But it doesn't surprise me as much as it's surprising everybody else just because of the speed factor. I don't think – I don't recall seeing a team from New Jersey that fast in a long time. Um, now the question with them will be, can they keep it up? And, you know, we'll see. So, yeah, it, it doesn't surprise me terribly. But we'll see how far the how far along that they can go for sure. Uh, what other two teams did how, you ask me about? How about uh, are you concerned about Washington and should uh, Ranger fans be very concerned? Yes and yes. I mean, yes. The, the Capitals. Um, I mean, there comes a point where the losses that they suffer are going to catch up to you, and now they've got a couple of their really good players that are out injured on top of that. I mean, Backstrom missed the other night. I know he's supposed to be back tonight, but they have a couple of other players that are in positions. I mean, yeah, they they should worry a little bit. I mean, are they going to be fine maybe for the playoffs? Well, perhaps. They're still really good players on the team. But if you're talking about a deep playoff run, uh, unless they make some moves later to help with some depth, I definitely would be worried about them. They're they're just not the same team as they were in years no. past. Um, and they have and the Rangers, they're totally crunched with the cap too. Absolutely, yeah, that that that's a hard thing to overcome. And the Rangers, yep. yeah. I, the one thing that really strikes me about the Rangers, this the way that they're deploying their roster right now. I I just don't understand some of the moves that they're making. And I think that maybe maybe that's a philosophy thing um, with with Elaine Vigneault, but I just don't get some of the line combinations they're running out there and the way they're running their defense. Um, could they improve on that? Absolutely. I mean, could Lundqvist maybe find his game all of a sudden? Well, certainly he could, but I don't really have a lot of confidence in the Rangers right now, not the way that they're trending. I mean, they beat Arizona the other night, but everyone's beaten them, so – now, let's see what happens these next 10 games. And if they continue down the slide, they keep losing games. Are we talking about the first coach fired? I mean, they need to get some yeah. of their young guys in. For whatever reason, this coach does not do that. So, yeah, if I was a Rangers fan, I'd be a little bit worried. You know who they really miss, guys? And he's doing great with the Vegas Golden Knights. And that's Oscar Lindbergh, who's, you know, at the time mm-hmm. I said, uh, you know, he, he, you know, for a few fantasy hockey players – 
it's not like a guy who's probably on your radar, but he's just an all-around player who's a young center who's gotten better every year, and the Rangers are thin at center. So that is a guy... That is, I mean, to be honest with you, uh, you know, hindsight's happy to have it. But I, I, I think they would have been much better off, even though he's a bigger name, keeping Lindbergh and losing a Kevin Hayes. Hmm. Well, interesting. Thought. Vegas scouting department did their homework. Um, overtime game winner already under his belt so far in the young season. Well, one more, uh, one more thought before we got to let you go, Mark. From, and you may have heard me ask Zach this in the end of the previous session. Um, what are they saying from afar about the Golden Knights? What, what's the rumblings about, oh, this team, can they sustain? Is there some, some let's say, bright spots that we can hang our hat on? Now, I know analytically I've, I've pointed to the number four overall face-off and number one overall defensive zone face-off team in the league as something that if they're going to continue to have the success that they've had, um, they need to continue maintaining that because they do have some speed. They do have some skill. They do have some good puck-moving defensemen with Colin Miller and, and Nate Schmidt that are, that are getting get, pulling the face-offs back and getting the puck out of zone. So it's not putting pressure on the obviously weak link with the team right now until Flurry comes back is playing a, a AHL goaltender. But so far he's been good enough. There's some some voodoo magic going on there. But what are you looking at and what are you seeing and hearing about the Vegas Knights from outside the Vegas market? The thing that I keep hearing is that um, we can't really look at them right now as the bottom feeder. I think that they that teams need to treat them as a good opponent for now. I think I think there was a, a mindset with the Golden Knights that oh you know this is a gimme, and we're quickly coming to find out. I mean Mark Andre Fleury, I mean when he's healthy, and James Neal and David Perron, and we could go up and down the roster. I mean. There are some really good players. And Absolutely. You cannot overlook them. Now, I think teams are going to do a lot more homework on them so that they're going to start to figure things out. And then let's not forget, most of these games that the the Golden Knights have won have all been at T-Mobile Arena. They have a really weird schedule where they had a whole chunk of games at home now they play a whole chunk of games, like two weeks worth on the road. Let's see how yeah. this team performs on the road when there's when there's more film on them. I think the league is going to start to catch up to them, and we'll really start to learn about this team moving forward. So I'm not going to rush to conclusions and say, oh, they're a playoff team. You know, let's have this conversation again, say around Thanksgiving or Christmas time, and see where they're at then before we start making judgments there. I just think that, I mean, it's a great story. Don't get me wrong, but the league is going to see what they're doing. There's going to be a lot more study and they're going to start to, you know, catch up to them. I mean, I think there ultimately is a reason why some of these players were taken in the expansion draft as they were. Um, Now they have a point to prove, but at the same time, I think that wears off eventually. So we'll see where it goes. Either no, and I can do it. Mark or on, on the road. And, and that's going to tell us a, 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 and I'm not even really, before the season, I put a, 
a benchmark of 70 points on this team. And a lot of people emailed and, and tweeted me that I was out of my mind that 70 points, uh, forget about it. You'll be lucky to get 50, blah, blah, blah. And I, I thought looking at them in, in person, in camp, and, and doing my own you know, research and homework on, on who it was and, and Gerard Gallant and, and when he took over the Panthers, the point differential that that team saw and the uptick that that team saw with the young players and his system and how it might fit to the players. I thought 70 points would be a, a reasonable goal. I wasn't stretching for that 70 point total. And and here we are, and we're just about a third of the way there if, if we're not already past a third of the way to that 70 points. And there's one thing that I'll I'll, I'll stick to where they can another another thing I was talking with Chris earlier. There's only three teams in the league that have a uh, double-digit positive goal differential at this point. One of them is Tampa Bay at 17. One of them is the Kings at 17, and the other one's the Vegas Golden Knights at 16. So the the combination of of keeping the possession out of the faceoff, moving the moving the puck forward. And, and again, they've done all this with a subpar power play. If the power play starts put, finishing the chances that they are generating, because they have great movement on the power play, um, that look for that to increase even more. I, I do think that uh, obviously eight and one out of the gate is is fantastic. I, do I think that they're a playoff team in the West if the Anaheim's, the Oilers, the Sharks, and and so on and so forth, get the wheels lubricated and, and start rolling along? No, probably not. Can they hang in there and be and be the, the, the ninth, tenth team scratching for that number eight spot with a wild card in the West? I think they absolutely can. And and, and like Chris said, that's going to bring up quite a dilemma at the trade deadline because if they can sustain that, and I look for them to come out of these eight of the ni- next nine, if they, they can get their eight points and get the 24 out, out, at the 20-game mark, or thereabouts, uh, I think they can really start pushing forward, like you said about the Christmas mark, and and think about, man, are we gonna trade James Neal? Are we gonna trade David Perron? Is is this a, a move that we can make with a competitive owner that like Bill Foley, who if he can taste playoffs in his first year, he's gonna be chomping at the bit, and then it's gonna be an interesting team to watch the rest of the way as as the Western Conference, you know, matures into the season and unfolds. So uh, interesting. And I, I tend to agree with you that, that, you know, no one thought that playoffs in one was going to happen. I still don't. But uh, in light of everything that, that has happened that, that we're going through, it is a nice thing to have a team like that uh, off to such a great spot, spot to give us all, you know, something to smile about, something to hang our hat on, and something to check the scoreboard for here in Las Vegas. Mark, it's been great talking with you again. As always, Shiger, it's great to have you on your content for the Blue Jackets. The second to none, sir. We're going to have to let you go, but we will talk to you down the road. Make sure you guys follow Mark on Twitter at Mark Scheig, S-C-H-E-I-G, or go over to thehockeywriters.com and pick up all of the Columbus Blue Jackets content there. He does a great job for the Hockey Riders, and we appreciate your time this morning. Hey, thanks, boys. Really appreciate you having me. Thanks again. Uh, all right, and we'll talk to you down the road. Well, all right, Chris, this is uh, another episode of the Vegas Hockey Podcast. We're closing in on 100 episodes, and I think that we've got our audio wow. difficulties finally straightened out because we've had, you know, hopefully a trouble-free broadcast, all no more during the playback. But everybody sounded good this week, and, and thank you all for 
putting up with us while we threw a couple of the kinks and bugs that we got into our system here. But I, I think hopefully from you know we'll be going forward. And I do I do want to shout out that uh, make sure you go over to GrandstandSportsNet.com or Russ Cohen Sports Ology page and check out all the content, not just the Vegas Hockey Podcast. Yeah, that's on uh, that's on SoundCloud. Yes, sir. On SoundCloud, uh, search Sportsology, and you'll be able to bring that page up. And also go to thehockeywriters.com as well. They, they obviously they have a great stable of writers across the country covering covering the teams in their different locations, and and they have different podcasts as well. So uh, great great sites, all three, and it's our pleasure to be affiliated with them. What are we looking at here coming up in the next week? We got a we got a Tuesday night game, sir. What are we What are we talking about, Knights Islanders? Uh, are we going to put a little sun sun on the action there Tuesday night? <laughs> Actually, they play the Islanders Monday night, and then they're at the guard. Is, is it Monday, Monday night? So, okay, my bad. My bad. Yeah, so yeah, I, I just wanted to see the Islanders uh, had a terrible outing the other night in Minnesota. They won three in a row. I didn't want to talk about it. But uh, they, they're in Nashville yeah. tonight, so hopefully they can bounce back. The Islanders have been very good at home and then not so great on the road. So uh, we'll see. Uh, it was great having both Zach and – Shiger on uh, two. We love all our guests. They've been on numerous times. They're terrific. Uh, weeks next week, I'm working on getting a Canadians guest on and what the heck is going on over. <clears throat> excuse me, over there. And I'm trying. Yeah. I believe we're going to have Brian Yates from the NHL on the ice in two weeks' time. To talk about the Red Wings Sweet. and their team that uh, in, it could have an interesting season in terms of how do they move forward. So they got off to a good start and been struggling lately. And the only team to beat the Vegas Gold tonight. So yeah, yeah. How many episodes are we away from 100? Here, I'll bring it up real quick. Uh, we're within five, I think, counting today. Well, okay, we're going to have to do something special uh, for that 100th episode. Maybe maybe we can get – we got to get Buffalo Tom on at least for a few minutes to, it was somehow, some way, we got to see if we can make that happen. But uh, ninety-four. Yeah, we'll have to ni- today is ninety-five, sir. Today is ninety-five episodes for the Vegas Hockey Podcast. So we're looking at early December. Okay, well we'll have to we'll have to uh, come up with something special uh, for that episode. But uh, yeah, it's going to be an interesting time for the Knights. The next three, um, real quick before we let everybody go, let me just bring up. Uh, here we go. The next eight of nine. So they're at the Islanders, at the Rangers, at the Bruins, at Ottawa, at Toronto, at Montreal. And then they come home for a game against Winnipeg. And then they go to Edmonton and Vancouver. And then they come home and play the Kings. And then they go on the road again and play uh, Anaheim. So that's between Wacky now schedule. and November 20th. Between now and November 22nd. So that's the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. So between now and the day before Thanksgiving, we're going to know a lot about the Knights because that, my friend, is a tough schedule in terms of the amount of road games, the teams that they're playing. uh, I mean, that is a a tough, that is a tough road. A couple of backs in there as well. Look at it this way. Uh, Let's go down the schedule here. Islanders, 5-4-1, 500 club. Rangers, enough said. Then they play uh, Boston, who's probably going to be looking for payback since uh, they did not play well 
but they're also four, three, and one, nine points. Then you go to Montreal. Uh, maybe no Ottawa. Ottawa, Ottawa after that. Okay, Ottawa's a tough, tough game always. But then you look at their, you look at their points. They got five wins. They also have five overtime losses. Uh, the, the Knights are three and zero in overtime. So right. they're five and one, but they have five losses on the on the season. Then then go to Montreal, right? Two and seven, six points. Um, Toronto's going to be the toughest game on that road trip, in my opinion. Toronto and, and Boston. Um, Boston's going to be hungry too. So, so you know, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that they can come home from that point with six or seven points. One thing I'll say, uh, uh, in fairness, about my Islanders, uh, though, as I've said, they've had a brutal, tough stretch schedule-wise this season. They've or, they've already done the California trip, so they've already went to Anaheim, San Jose, L.A. They've played at. In addition to that, they played at Columbus. They played at the Rangers. They played at Minnesota. They hosted San Jose and St. Louis. I mean, they've they had a, even though they're five four one, which doesn't sound overly impressive. I mean, it's it's okay. Um, they've had a real time, and tonight they're in Nashville, so they've had a whoever put their schedule. Now, if they can get through these next couple of games and win a couple of games and get through October with this schedule, uh, I think they're going to be in good good shape to, uh, to to platform from. Sure, but am I wrong in saying that the on on paper? The road trip looks tougher than it does on the ice with the way these teams are performing right now. I don't know. Like I said, I, I'm, I'm, I, I am, I am shocked that the Knights are eight and one. I mean, to be, I mean, again, I. They're over their head. Players. I mean, but none of these players, for the most part, other than Riley Smith and um, Marshall, uh, so. Yeah, really has played with one another. They're playing with new coaches, a new system, and they're and they've had three different goalies due to injury, and they're eight and one. I mean, that is just, you know, when you put those facts, I know they had a lot of home games. No, that's amazing. That is, but you know, the the one thing I will say, and I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer here, but remember the Philadelphia Flyers last year. At one point, uh, I think about the one third mark. Maybe I think it was in November of last year. They won ten games in a row, and they did not make the playoffs. So uh, I'm not sure. saying that's going to happen with Vegas. Uh, I'm not trying to. I mean, look, you got to be ecstatic of what's going on. Um, but I think it could be. A, you brought up a really Talk good break point. A little bit. Uh, is is if Foley's if it's if we get into the new year and they have a chance to make the playoffs and Foley's chomping at the bit and McPhee says, "Look, wow. we got to go big picture here." We got to ride uh, it. I wonder how that. I, I wonder how that's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting. It's going to. It's going to play out. Uh, you know, because uh, they're you know they're they and again they're not going to they're not having an expansion draft next June. You know, and and believe it or not, even though they have all these draft picks coming in terms of future drafts, I think they only have five picks in this up in this upcoming draft. All the picks they've loaded up on. Or the or the uh, 2019 and 2020 drafts. I think I think they have like 12 picks in each of those drafts. But they don't have a ton of picks coming up in in this draft, uh, and they have a lot of free agents. So obviously they want to make you know they don't want to have a situation where great year one and then years two, three, and four, are, you know, 
step backwards. So uh, it's going to be an interesting dynamic. But, again, let's see what the next the next nine to ten games look like. I'm not saying they're going to go two and eight, but one would think there's got to be a little bit of a leveling off. Yeah, the one thing – the other thing I'll say about this club is I've watched just about all, 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 all minutes of Golden Knights hockey. And this team may be playing – with more, I don't, I don't know, desire, will, um, showing up to the rink every night. A call it what you call, call it whatever you want. This, this team shows up and plays hard to a man every single night. There's not one guy on this team that you could say, "Wow, he's 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 holding a stick tight. He's he's struggling with this." He's he, and, and However, however you want to describe it, however you want to talk about it, whether it's effort, willpower, uh, chip on your shoulder, whatever it is, Gerard Gallant has this team playing night in and night out. Whoever they're playing against, whether it's the Arizonas or the Chicagos, these guys show up to the rink every night and and play with their, their hearts on their sleeve and, and 100% effort every night, 23 men down the roster. And you can't coach that. You it, you can only kind of prepare for it and try and match that. But um, every loose puck, every pass, every 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 trip through the neutral zone is defended. Now whether they're successful at it or not, it, it, whether they make mistakes doing it, of course they will. Every team does. But I I am very impressed with the effort that this team puts in night in night out at the at the grid and the compete level portions of the game that intangible it that they talk about um, this team brings it to the rink every night and and we can talk and the about last last point for last point for me on the show is you know the first three or four games when they got out of the gates really good you know a cynic could say well you know Flurry pulled a couple of rabbits out of his hat with the way he played and. And James Playing Arizona. And, and, right, right. You know, in Arizona. But if you watch, look at the box scores and the highlights of the games, I mean, it's a different guy every night. You know, one night Colson has a big game. One yeah. night it's Lindbergh. Neil had a couple of One night big it's Tehran. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, uh, they, they you know, what a talk. Uh, you know, Spies has played, uh, played pretty good out there. So, yeah, you know, they, they, they have kept this team. So yeah, surprisingly be, you so. Know, You're yeah. absolutely right. But I think I think Shiger brought up a good point, uh, and not to belittle their wins, but I wonder if the opposition and shame on them if they did, because they're not playing a bunch of kids. Like, and no disrespect to Arizona, but like Arizona, there's a lot of proven players in the league on the nights, uh, like Neil, like Perron, like Slurry, on and on and on. Uh, maybe you know, well, they're an expansion team. You know, we go out, we play a decent game, we'll win, and maybe this will be a wake-up call, you know, this kind of start for everyone in the league. Like, hey, if you guys don't play well, you're not winning. You know, not that a win's a guarantee if you play well, but, you know, you got to view them like, like any other team. Yeah, and, and like you said, shame on shame on them if they weren't. You don't, uh, you don't take any team in the National Hockey League lightly. Uh at least you shouldn't be. And if, if there are teams coming in underprepared, then, then shame on them. You got, you just feel saying you got to beat the guys in front of you, whether it's the Arizona's, the St. Louis's, Chicago's, or and so far 
the Vegas Golden Knights have done that very well. And like I said, I look for them to go on this road trip and, and catch a couple teams down and come home with six, seven points out of the thing. And then by the oh, end yeah. of the hey, look, home away, home away. If they yeah, can play five, if they absolutely. go three and three, you got to be happy. Uh, you got to be happy with that. You know, lose the Islanders, beat the Rangers. You know, take the first two of the road trip and put four points under your belt <laughs> before you get into the before you cross the border. <laughs> well, you better beat the Rangers. It, so we'll see. like I said, the Islanders have played well. Uh, have played. I think the three zero and one at home. It'd be nice if they could start playing better on the road. Ducky Way looked like he was ready to. Uh, to set his hair on fire the other night, so we'll see how they respond uh, uh, tonight. But all right, well, like I said, we got a couple of big shows coming up, and uh, uh, looking forward to it, my friend. Today was, uh, you know, today was like almost like a double show to make up for last week. And uh, again, thanks to Zach Devine. You can follow him at Zach D A K K the Bear on Twitter. And thanks to Mark Shy. You can fo- fo- follow him at. Mark Scheich at Mark M A R K Scheich S C H E I G, both excellent, excellent follows uh, for different things. Absolutely, absolutely, and we have gone almost two hours, so I am going to put this one in the can. We'll be we'll be working on uh, next week's show, same bad time, same bad channel, for Chris on Mark, and we're gone. Mm-hmm.